But this morning as I open, I want to encourage you and thank you for your commitment to spiritual growth, your commitment to Buffalo City Church. It's encouraging, again, as I look out amongst the crowd to see people who are on fire for the Lord, people who have maybe gone from tepid to on fire for the Lord, and to see that God continues to work through our church family. Now, as a reminder of the journey that we've taken in God's word together, we spent most of last year and the first few weeks of this year walking through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, where the overarching theme related to God's care for our inward heart position, right? A higher and more unattainable standard of the law that could only be accomplished through the life and work of Jesus Christ. And the last couple weeks, we have been looking at the unique letter of Philemon, where we see a difficult conversation and a deep intimacy of Christian brothers that springs from God's peculiar providence. Now, as we dig into 1 Peter this morning, we're going to see some similar themes. We're going to see a call for the brotherhood connection that we've seen in Philemon and the call to love and care for our inward heart position, as we saw from the Sermon on the Mount. And as we dig into Scripture this morning, let me remind you that this set of verses and every set of verses that we encounter in Scripture is about God. Right? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about Paul or Peter or Moses. Yes, those are all characters that are part of this upper and lower story. But the narrative from which we see is one of God, from God, about God. Right? Which allows his children to understand who God is, and as children of Christ, with his spirit dwelling inside of us, who we are, and how we are, resp- are to respond to the world around us because of our identity in Jesus Christ. Now, at this time, if you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you via a hard copy or an electronic copy, I'd encourage you to grab a Bible from the table. You can raise your hand. Our brother Larry can can pass out a Bible to you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to please take one from the table. We'd love for you to take that and, and cherish the Word of God. Now, as we approach the inspired Word of God through Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray that you would allow for inward heart transformation this morning. Lord God, allow your truth to illuminate our understanding of you and in turn who we are as children of God. Allow our hearts and mind this morning to focus on you, Lord God, not our lunch plans or a difficult task that's filling our mind space, but to focus on you and your word. 
Lord, we recognize that this time of committing your word to our hearts is not to be taken lightly, but is an opportunity to know you more and grow in obedience to you out of love for you. God, allow my words to be your words. Allow only your truth to be heard and understood in this time. Thank you for your word and for giving us direct access to you through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, which if you're flipping through, it's near the end, right after the book of James, which says, starting in verse 22 and going through 25, it says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field." And grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. As we look and understand these four verses this morning, we are going to work backwards a little bit to understand Peter's argument that he's providing. To do that, we're going to focus on these three points. First, the indicative or the factual statement that we are fallen and temporary, which we see in verses 24 and 25. Secondly, we're going to look at the indicative or factual statement that we have been born again through the living and enduring word of God, which we'll see in verse 23. And finally, the imperative or the command that we are to love one another deeply from the heart, or as we may see in other translations, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, because we have been purified by the obedience of Jesus Christ, which we see in verse 22. Now, since we haven't been in this letter consistently, let's quickly just remember some of the context. Right, This letter was written by Peter, a direct disciple of Jesus. It was written about 30 years after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and just a couple years before Peter was to be crucified upside down for his faith. It was written as a response to his own and other Christians' persecution. He was writing this letter to encourage and spur other followers of Christ scattered and suffering for their faith to give them comfort and hope and urging continued loyalty to Christ. And sometimes we ask, well, what does that mean for us today? Right? How does that relate? And with that, I would remind you that our world is encouraging us and urging us to be loyal to all things but Christ. And so as we look at this, this letter is written to us as well, urging us to be loyal to Christ Jesus. 
Now, last May, we looked at 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 13, which provided us that the persecuted church is to be thankful for salvation, the importance and foundation of faith, and that trials will refine our faith. And we were reminded that, or Peter encouraged us of an eternal perspective by setting our hope on the grace coming with the return of Christ. And to believe and trust in that grace, despite whatever circumstance this life throws at us. And just a couple weeks ago, we looked at verses 13 through 21, which provided that we have been imparted, or it has been given us, an ability to be obedient because he was obedient. And that we are holy or set apart, and that our faith and hope are in Jesus Christ as the perfect fulfillment of the law. So with that understanding or context, we turn again to 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25. Looking at verse 24, it says, For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Isn't that beautiful? Very poetic, right? Comparing men to grass and glory to flowers. We see that Peter finds this poetry and quotes this section from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. So to help us understand this a little further, we turn back to Isaiah, and in this section of Isaiah, specifically chapters 40 through 48, we see that the prophet Isaiah is calling for and pointing towards a hope in troubled times, and the truth that this hope is only rooted in one true God, not idols. In looking at the book of Isaiah, we have the first 39 chapters explaining the conflict and victory of the Assyrians over the tribe of Judah and how God would and did use a powerful army to destroy and bring his nation into captivity. And starting in verse 40, where this comes from, he transitions the prophet Isaiah towards hope. Isaiah begins to foretell of the tribe of Judah's eventual release and return to Jerusalem, and most importantly, foretells of the coming of a suffering servant in Jesus Christ. The coming of new heavens and new earth when God's people will be completely restored. So to start that narrative of hope, Isaiah includes this beautiful poetic language prophesying that things of this world are fallen and temporary, but the word of the Lord, which foretells of Jesus as word incarnate, stands forever. You see, for a people who are captive, who have had everything taken from them, who suffered the loss of their riches and freedom, the idea that the attacks and bondage and their current circumstance in this world is fleeting is an encouragement. 
It is, in a, it is a reminder and focus towards an eternal perspective that what is most important, the word of our God, the promises he has provided, stands forever. The promise that his chosen people will be restored. Right, in Isaiah, the people who he's writing to, they are thinking they are his chosen people. Right, and so they cling to this hope that as his chosen people, they will be restored. As we consider this truth, or as I considered this truth this week, I honestly found this idea a little challenging. Maybe not quite so encouraging. You know, for a people who have the propensity, and in most cases the means, to build our own pretty good and comfortable place of refuge, the truth that everything around us is fleeting and will pass maybe isn't as comfortable a truth. It begs the question, what am I striving for? What am I putting my trust in, my time, my efforts, my thoughts, my energy, are focused towards what? Am I focused on the temporal, fleeting realities of today or tomorrow? Or the eternal, living, and enduring truth of the gospel? How much time and energy do I put towards my house or my car or the tasks in my job that maybe will one day earn me a promotion or give me a satis satisfaction in a job well done, only to be forgotten in a week or two? If I'm honest, I find myself ingrained in things that allow me to enjoy today or tomorrow or even five years from now and not focused on the things of God and obeying the commands he has laid out for me. Inherently the most difficult, which is to freely give of myself to others. Now, some of us might be saying, yeah, but don't be so hard on yourself. Right? All of those things, your house, your job, Satisfaction in a job well done, those, those things, Blaze, those are a blessing from God. Just remember that God allows you to have those things and give him the glory and thanks. As I wrestled with that this week, that was my first response. And if I'm honest, it was a little defensive. When God laid it on my heart that I'm worshiping the gifts, not the giver, I justify or I intellectually negotiate with myself or try to reason with God, if that's possible, that no, I'm not worshiping the gifts, I worship God and thank him for these things. But if I search deep, and I'm truly honest with myself, my response is sinful. 
My response is not acknowledging my sinful nature and a need for a savior. If I'm real about it, I think I had a hand in those things, those gifts. It's a God and mindset, right? God provides something to me, my job, my car, self-satisfaction, right? My talents. And it requires that I capitalize on them, right? That I have to then take advantage of them or build on to them for it to happen. But that's wrong. People of Buffalo City Church, that is wrong and I repent. I repent that in my heart, I struggle to acknowledge and understand the full sufficiency and sovereignty of Christ Jesus. I repent and rest in the truth from which Jesus quotes when being tempted in the desert by Satan in Luke 4, which comes from Deuteronomy 6, 13 and 14, which says, Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. The gods of worshiping money. The gods of worshiping comfort. The gods of worshiping self-sufficiency. Buffalo City Church, it begs the question, what are we putting our trust in? Is it our bank accounts or our ability to make money? Is it our intelligence, our ability to strategize and come up with solutions for any problem the world might throw our way? Is it our family, our comfort, our rest, solitude? Are we putting our trust in the things that God provides, the gift, or are we putting our trust that he is sovereign and our hope is sealed in his promises? It's a tough thing to wrestle with. That's a tough thing to know or understand. That's a challenging and consistent endeavor and a question we must continually take to the Lord in prayer. And so I implore us this morning, as we leave here to consider this throughout the week, what are we putting our trust in? Where are we spending our time and our effort What do we value? Is it the temporary things of this world or the living, enduring word of God? I urge us to rest in these enduring words of God that reminds us of his sovereignty. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together.
Allow that to be our prayer this week. Allow that to truly affect what we say and do. In Psalm 147.5, it says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. So we continue to the next point in looking at this set of verses in 1 Peter. The encouraging reminder that although we are fallen and in need of a Savior, we have been born again. We have been saved from sin and death by the living word, Christ Jesus. Verse 23 says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. If we turn to understand the idea of being born again, we can look to what Jesus says about our new life apart from the world in John chapter 3. We see from Jesus himself that whoever believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior shall not perish but have eternal life. A life, a rebirth from flesh into spirit. An inward transformation from faith in Jesus. Let's read John 3, verses 1 through 18, which says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God, if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. You do not understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. We see the idea of born again in verse 3 and again in verse 7. And the idea of being born again can be translated to born from above. And although the Pharisees like Nicodemus would understand that the kingdom of God would be restored on earth and would incorporate God's people, what he didn't realize is that his kingdom would come to the whole world, as we see in John 3.16. And also that unless he was personally born again, being Nicodemus, putting his faith and trust not in the world and adhering to the law, but in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he wouldn't be part of that kingdom. Right? If Nicodemus did not put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be born again, he would not be in the kingdom of God. Not his heritage, not his background, not his good works. None of those put him in the kingdom of God. The only thing that would put him in the kingdom of God is putting his faith and trust in what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. So we... Buffalo City Church, have been born again by the imperishable seed. The things we discussed before of this world, our houses, our cars, our comfort, our satisfaction, are the perishable seed. All things that we're trusting and focusing on outside of the redeeming and saving grace of God are foolish and short-sighted. As children of God, we are called to prioritize things which are not temporary or perishable, but instead the imperishable. We are born again, ladies and gentlemen, or born from above, from the living and enduring word of God. So we see that we are fallen and temporary. That's our sin nature that we've been born again as believers in Christ Jesus, transformed inwardly. And as we look ahead, we are purified by Jesus. And we are asked then to love one another deeply from the heart. Verse 22 reads, heading back to 1 Peter, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. And this is where we get a tie to what has been provided in Philemon. Right? A call for Philemon, because of inward transformation in Onesimus, to also have an inward transformation and a sincere for his newfound brother in Christ. Now, like everything God has provided to us in Scripture, 
the, lo- the idea of love has been perverted, misunderstood, and misrepresented in our world. Ideas of falling in and out of love, ideas and misuse of love by saying things like, I love Domino's pizza, or I love NFL football, or anything else material. What we see here in Scripture as love and how it occurs is a little different than the feeling of love that the world portrays. Right? First, to be able to love requires heart transformation. You see, this imperative or command comes with the understanding that because we are recipients of grace, to truly love we must first be purified by the truth. By being purified by the truth, we will have sincere love for our brothers. Purification that comes through the obedience of Jesus Christ. He was fully man. He was fully God. And in obedience came to bear the weight of our sin, took upon himself the wrath of God in order that we might be purified. So you may be thinking, are you saying that without knowing and loving Jesus, we cannot love others? To answer simply yes. As we see in 1 John 4, 15 and 16, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. You see, in our sinful state, apart from God, we cannot know love. We have impure, selfish hearts, which don't hold to the love described in verse 22. And I'm convinced that is why the world has perverted the idea of love, or has given us a very shallow misunderstanding of love. Because the world doesn't want to acknowledge that to love, we need God. That we need something beyond ourselves and trusting in what we can do or achieve. We see that true love from a purified heart by God, has been commanded to be on display to the world. Right? Since the world without an understanding of God can't truly love, we are to be the beacons of love. Right? We as Christians are truly the only ones who can love. And so God calls us to put that on display for the world. In John 13, 34, and 35, it says, A new command I give you, love one another. 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Right? There's no easy button to experience love and to be able to truly extend love. It requires knowing God through the living and enduring word of God. It requires purification that comes through the obedience of Jesus Christ. We gain everything in Christ, and in him we are free to obey, and therefore free to love one another from a pure heart. Now, if you're like me, your sin nature gets in the way, and you can have a propensity to seek behavior modification over heart transformation. Right? It's a trap. It's a snare from Satan. I look to boil things down to what do I need to do or what can I do here? Right? I want to find a way to work harder, to take control, to, in this case, take action to love people better and harder. Right, And if I don't break this down and remember that this scripture is not about me, it is about God, I wouldn't see that God is the one working here. Right, I'd try to love more to be more others-focused. And I've tried that. I, I still try that over and over but it's not true love, it's a facade. To the person experiencing it, it may seem like love, right? It may look like on the outside, like I'm caring for the needs and putting them before myself. But in reality, if I look at my heart, I'm looking to build a credit. I'm looking to sacrifice in the short term for a long-term gain. That's not love. That's being deceitful. And not only is that not love, that long-term focus usually lasts a couple hours or maybe a couple of days. Right? The focus should not be on the gift of achieving or providing love or receiving something in exchange, but on the giver of that purification in love in Jesus Christ. If we focus on the giver and not the gift, the gift will flow from that proper focus, right? We try that easy button. Well, I'll skip getting to know God and being purified and just jump to what I think is my part, right? Loving one, someone else. But I'm telling you from my own experience and from what the scripture tells us here, that's short-sighted and is not true love, So, I implore us, Buffalo City Church, to 
focus not on the temporal, but on the eternal. To rest in the truth that we have been purified through the obedience of Christ Jesus. So, we've focused on 1 Peter 1, verses 22 through 25 this morning. We've unpacked the understanding from verse 24 and 25 that we are fallen and in need of a Savior. We've looked at verse 23 to understand that we have been delivered a Savior and been born again through the living and enduring Word of God. And finally, in verse 22, that we are commanded to love one another deeply from the heart by being purified by obeying the truth, a purification that comes through the obedience of Jesus. So what are the implications of the understanding of these truths and command? As we've stated before, the Christian walk is one that may sound simple, but is not easy. Right? These ideas and implications are not earth-shattering or ones you haven't heard before, but requires obedience, requires diligence, requires going to the Lord continually. First, I implore us to pray and repent. Acknowledge consistently that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Thank God continually that we have been born again, redeemed by the imperishable seed of Christ Jesus. If we spend time seeking the Lord, he will consistently reveal the sin in our lives and call us to repent and put our faith and trust in him over and over and over again. Let's be a people who commit to seeking the Lord and repenting. Second, let's know Jesus more through an increased or rededicated or a continued commitment to the living and enduring word of God. Put off things that may seem urgent because they aren't lasting, and prioritize studying Scripture to understand God. The Lord has given us an opportunity to know Him through His Word. Yet we choose to know and spend time with and prioritize the things that are really not that important. You know, with much wisdom and understanding, Caleb said at the beginning of this year that our greatest threat as, as a church was not prioritizing our spiritual health and well-being. I would ask that we seriously consider what is being placed in front of our spiritual health and to place it in its proper place as a lower priority. Finally, I encourage us to connect. 
I know I hit on this pretty hard the last time I preached, but please invite someone further into your life. Be vulnerable and allow someone to see what your life really entails. What difficulties and struggles you live day in and day out. To show love from a pure heart towards each other, we need to understand each other's needs and desires. And sometimes that starts by telling someone close to you how you can be helped, how you can be prayed for, how you can be encouraged. Whether it is someone you have been closer to previously and want to reconnect with, Someone who's maybe lived on the fringes of your life, might be in your community group, but, you know, you see them once a week at community group, and that's about it. Or maybe it's someone you haven't seen at all, but the Lord is prompting you to connect with. I implore you and urge you to connect. Look beyond yourself to those around you and how you can meet their needs. So I end this morning with the truths and commands that we focused on this morning. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Let's pray.